Tonight I want to continue and Lord willing finish the sermon I had started, Choosing Your Boss. It's about work. But when we think about work, I want to give some more caveats to what I've said before. Uh, we understand that there is, in before the fall of man, in the fall of man, and after the fall of man, we are going to exert our energy, our time. Now, if, and, and I think, and the idea here of work is the expenditure of energy. Now, if you go on holidays, you're still expending energy. You've got to cook food, go to restaurants, other stuff. You're still doing stuff. So there's labor you're doing. Now, you're saying it's not a secular employment, but you're still exerting energy. How are we going to use our energy? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. There's a gentleman, William Booth, he said, not called, did you say? Not heard the call. He said, I think you should say, put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. And then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. End quotes. Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. When we think about this idea of work, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, for our opening text tonight, I want to give some ideas. I've talked about what happened in the Garden of Eden. I'll just I'll briefly allude to do a little bit of quick review and then pick up where we left off. And how am I to use my energies and labors for today? Now, I understand that each and every one of us are at a different stage of life. There's an elderly lady that oftentimes is, my wife and I will send out our letters, and, and uh, this elderly lady, she's 90-something years old, 94, 95 years old, and her health is, you know, physically, she, she's not in great health, but she, tell, she told me, she says, listen, I pray three hours every day. She's using her labors for God. Our physical expenditures do not necessarily have to be physically exerting, but we are using our labors for God. And choosing our boss, choosing our foundation, and I want to talk about that idea, what is the foundation for why I do what I do in my life? Why do I go to work? Why do, you know, how do I, you know, even as I care for uh, a significant other, my wife, my daughter, uh, others in my life, why do I do it? That is the question we're going to have to ask, and we need to have that as the foundation as to the one to whom I'm trying to please above all else. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. He says, Adam, you're in the Garden of Eden before, before their sin, before you and Eve ate the fruit. I want you to take care of and steward this earth. You are to, you're responsible for the proper care of this world. Now, God cr created them as very good, noting them as even good. They're the stewards of this earth. But we understand in Psalm 1611, as I was thinking about this idea of work, 
And sometimes this idea of work, when you're overworked and you're overburdened and you're stressed in your life, you're thinking, Pastor, why in the world are you talking about work? I need rest. I don't need work. But in Psalm 16, it says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. When I am in the presence of God, it says there's fullness of joy. If there's someone you dearly love and they come for a visit with you, you drop almost anything you have, if possible, to spend time with them. Is it a chore and work to be, spend time with them? Many of you would say no. Especially if that person is a mentor, someone you love, you care for, and they come for a visit, and maybe you haven't seen them for a very long time. Maybe they live on the other side of the world and they come and visit you. You're thinking, wow, they've sacrificed to come see me, and I have the privilege and the, the, the opportunity to spend time with them. There's joy in that relationship. What I'm saying, we're choosing our boss and I'm choosing the work. I'm saying I just want to abide in God's presence in everything I do in life. And I can have that joy. Hebrews 4, 3, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, I have, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The rest is from the trials, the afflictions, and the troubles of this life. You know what? Sin makes things a whole lot more difficult. Selfishness. People are selfish. People treat us wrong. They, they're harsh against us. And it increases the stress of life. We enter Adam and Eve, we're in the full rest of God. And yet God says you still have a purpose. Our joy one day in heaven, fully restored to that which Adam and Eve gave up. It's a time and a place of eternal rest. Work is a requirement for life and eternity, but it becomes work and laborious and, and just burdensome and heavy when I'm doing it for myself. But if I'm doing it for God, and I'm in that close relationship, and as you're all on the altar, is it every part of you? Then I'm saying, God, it's all for you. As we think on this idea of choosing your boss, who is the one to whom you're serving on this world? When I serve my wife and I serve and I care for my daughter and, and the dogs and, and, I, and I care for them and, and caring for the church and, and I'm doing it, if I'm doing it for myself, after a while it's like, oh, it's heavy. When you're, and you're, when you're at home and you're going through your, your daily routine of life and going to work and coming home, if it's just to bring home a paycheck, if it's just to, to put food on the table, it becomes burdensome after a while, especially as our world is upside down and inside out and all sorts of crazy. What is the foundation for why I do what I want to do? And, and I just wanted to give these this... this caveat and, 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 and this, from what I had originally said, but at the same time have an understanding of where we're progressing in our life. As I thought further about this and did some further studies, 
1 Corinthians 10.31, I want you to look with me, and it dovetails quite dovetails perfectly with this morning's message. You know what, as I as the Lord brought this to my mind and, and brought this thought and idea to me, it was it was it was just refreshing. And I've heard it before and I've thought about it and I thought, well, okay, that's good. But when I think about it, it's freeing. It's liberating. Because in verse 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So when I'm going to work, when I'm going to the grocery store, when I'm caring for my wife and daughter, I'm not just doing it for myself. Doing it because I want God to be happy with me. I want him to be pleased with me. You know, because it's not about my feelings. It's because I love him. If someone you dearly, dearly, dearly love, I mean, they mean the world to you, and maybe you've been separated from them for a while. I know sometimes that if I go away and I come back home and I get to see my wife again, I mean, I, I love to give her a big old hug. I've been away. I get to see her. And, and I get to do it for the glory of God because it's all about Him. I want to talk further about that this evening. Let's go to the Lord and ask for His blessing and I'll continue this study. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love You. And Lord, as we think upon this idea of work, Father, I pray that you would give me the exact words I ought to speak and preach. Lord, I pray in our hearts we'd really evaluate why we're doing what we're doing in life. Where am I going in life? What is my life all about? Father, I pray, if there's anyone here watching that does not know Christ as their Savior, if they die today, they, they're not sure where they're going, that, Lord, they'd settle that decision. Lord Jesus, I love you. I pray, Father, that you would just bless this time. Lord, may I be emptied of self and be fully used of thee. I love you. Thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. When you think, as I mentioned last time, uh, the, the calling, the there's a purpose for all of us. We are all to work. As, and then here it says, you do all to the glory of God. I want people to see how wonderful God is. Whether you're, <laughs> you know, this idea, if you're at work and maybe you have a boss who's kind of a little cantankerous, a little difficult, a family member that's a little difficult, and, and you're going about life, and they ought to say, you know what, why do you, why do you put so much effort into it? Why do you do it? Because it's not about me. I want God to be glorified. In the creation, God gave Adam and Eve responsibility and purpose. To not have purpose in life is completely opposite of what God's done for us. The commitment that he told us to have, your commitment of your work begins to, with whom, to whom you're committed. If you're committed to yourself, then all that matters in life is maybe your career, your wages, your retirement, your kids, your family. If that's all you're committed to, you have no eternal focus. You have no uh, a focus on what happens after this life is over. 
In Proverbs 16, 3, commit thy works of the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. He says, listen, put your thoughts on me and I'll help you with your thoughts of life. Especially that's, and it's difficult when trials come and, and those, those challenging things come. I mean, we are understood here that if any provide not for his own, you know, 1 Timothy 5, 8, but if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The Bible tells us you need to provide for your family. But Christ here, Jesus Christ would send his disciples out. He gave them, sometimes we think, well, the disciples were just lounging around with Jesus for three and a half years or three years, however long it was, and, and they're just lounging around with Jesus listening to, listening to him preach all the time. No, God, he sent them out two by two, and they were proclaiming the Messiah has come. Now, the employment here, as I had mentioned before, Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The idea here is, is you're working, if you're just working for money and possessions, I want to buy a nice new toy, uh, this is what I'm working for. I want to have a, a good nest egg when I retire. I, I want to have uh, uh, this. If that's all you're working for, God says you're not doing it for me, you're doing it for yourself. You can't serve God and do it for yourself. You can't. And I mentioned before, labor not for that meat which perisheth. We're not just working to put food on the table. I'm not just working and laboring and, and ministering, and you're not just working in this life just for this life. There is an eternity. When I take my last breath on this earth and I go into eternity, what I do now has an impact on, in the future. Not that I can't lose my salvation. If you're a Christian, you can't lose your salvation. Because Jesus paid it all. If I can lose my salvation, uh, then I'm working for it. To keep it. And Jesus' work was not sufficient. But in this idea of temporal meat or eternal riches, there is in the millennium, I will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. I'll have crowns and rewards that God will give me, saying, well done, you lived your life well. Or he'll say, or he'll be disappointed. God just doesn't want religious exercises. He doesn't, he wants us to be employed in his service. He wants us to be his child, adopted. What is the purpose of good works? In Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. They are to bring God glory. And we understand what did Christ require or what steps often undertaken by those whom Christ or his apostles healed and Christ rescued from sin's grip. When Jesus Christ healed someone or the apostles healed someone, what happened? He would want them to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Look with me at Mark chapter 5, verse 18. When Jesus healed someone, he, he didn't say, just go live your life now that you're healed. Many times, an individual who's in a bad state of life, they want, they want healing. They say, Pastor, pray for me. They'll say, you know, they'll have a, their friends, pray for me to be healed. 
Pray for me to get through whatever this hard time of life is. But you pray for them, and, and, and God works in their life, and, and they get healed in some cases, right? And, and God does work in their, you know, he either heals them. You know, sometimes we pray, Lord, would you, would you heal so-and-so? And, and, and they're a believer, and God may take them to heaven, so now they're perfectly healed. But I'm talking in the situation where God does a work in a life that is seen. And, and it's always, you know, it's always to be to his glory, but... Jesus heals the maniac of Gadara, a man who was demon-possessed. He had demons and spirits that were affecting him. And Jesus cast the demons out of him. Mark 5, 18. When he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him, howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. He tells this man, go home and proclaim that your deliverance came from me. Tabitha, a woman named Dorcas also by interpretation, she did many good works. She was full of good works. Every age is to work, whether the youngest or the oldest, now, the older we get, sometimes there's physical limitations. But it doesn't mean we can't be praying, we can't be doing other things, uh, we can't be reaching out with letters and phone calls or whatever. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we can do to encourage and edify others and, and just get to know God better. Our works are not just what we've done in the past. This idea uh, in the Western culture of retirement, I'm going to I'm I'm save up a nest egg, I'm going to have enough money, I'm going to retire, and then it's me time. You don't find that in the Bible. There, and if, we're, if it's just about me time, you know what? Jesus rested. He went apart. So I'm not saying we can't go apart and rest. I'm not saying we're always working. Like in actual physical labor, exhausting, you know, uh, where you're expending sweat and all that. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. But how I'm using my time and my energy and, and, and my labors and, you know, all of that. What am I doing with that? This, again, retirement from a western culture is i want to i'm finished my secular work i'm done i've raised the kids the dogs are done i'm going to go travel and do my own thing for the rest of my life but we're wasting time our association with christ what did the early believers do after salvation i want you to i want to show you some of the things what did the early believers do after their salvation acts chapter 2 Verse 41, this is there on the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> when they got saved, they accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. What did they do? Where did they, what, what did they do with their time? Verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. There's fellowship, there's food, there's eating, there's time together of believers encouraging one another. But first of all, they gladly received his word. They're saved. They're baptized. They're scripturally baptized. And then they were added unto the church, the church in Jerusalem. They joined the church and they said, listen, I got to get busy for Jesus. Because it's not about living apart from a church, it's being a part of the church. The local church in 1 Timothy 3.15, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. How you ought to behave yourself in the local church, which is the pillar and ground of truth. And the word of God is the centerpiece with Jesus as the shepherd. The great responsibility is to be a part of God's local church, serving him and doing what he wants. This is the institution Jesus started. And the only way for Christ to have preeminence is through local churches. Colossians from a disjointed, unassembled, worldwide, loosely associated group of people. He doesn't. But he does from believers in one location, loving one another, and united in doctrine, serving Christ. In John 13, 34 and 35, look with me here. How does Christ get preeminence in our works? After salvation, the believers, they said, listen, I want to be a part of that which Jesus started. I want, to, I want to serve him. I, I want to give him my life. I want to do all that he's called me to do. We've understood that work is a part of God's plan. In John 13, 34 and 35. It's obedience. It's saying, God, you're first. I'm not, I'm not first. You are. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. They get to see believers getting along with one another and loving one another and saying, listen. <laughs> That's a church that loves Christ. These believers are disciples, active followers of Jesus Christ. A church is to be united in doctrine and practice. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. The only way of practically applying this idea of faithfully serving God is through a local church body, being a part of a church and, and serving God. It's this, this idea of this very disjointed, mystical, worldwide entity uh, that has no, I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's logistically, uh, and we don't find that in the scriptures. I mean, of the 115 uses of church in the New Testament, about 107 of them directly relate to a, a specific group of people meeting together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Verse 18, but now God has set the members, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased them. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to me more feeble are necessary. 
Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, and having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. He's talking about local believers here in a lo- the church of Corinth. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye, Church of Corinth, are the body of Christ and members in particular. He says, listen, this, there's a care for one another. He says, listen, if someone's hurting in the church, you come alongside of them and say, listen, how can I be a help? There's a, there's a love, there's a care, there's a laboring, because what Jesus started... God's called us. He says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. If there's not local churches perpetuating the truth of Christ, then how is the world going to see you? The local church is the visible body of Christ, wherein the lost see the disciples of Christ working for Christ. In Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, when we think of work, it's being a part, it's laboring for the Lord Jesus Christ under the institution he started of the local church. In Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And the community sees, hey, there's some believers. They've had some struggles, there's some trials, but let's watch them care for one another. What is my obligation to being a member and as I work and labor in, in, in the local church? In Hebrews 10, 23. It says, you know, Christ is the head. The head of this church is not the pastor. It's Jesus Christ. We as a church, we, as the members here, we talk about things. The, as things come in, the, you know, the, the finances and, and what we, you know, our doctrine and constitution, we say, hey, this is the word of God and we want to maintain this. To help continue to, to maintain that standard of this is the gospel. This is what Jesus said and that's the only way to salvation. He's the head, not, not any person. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and tw- through 25, let us hold fast. The profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This idea of a detachment from a local church and doing my own thing for Jesus is, is completely in contrast to the word of God. The Apostle Paul, the Word of God, but Apostle Paul is the penman. He says, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. He says, listen, you guys are coming together, and you guys are squabbling and fighting. He says, you're physically gathering. They're serving one another, as Jesus would talk about. There's a, in the Lord's Supper, there's a remembering and tearing for one another and, and caring for one another. A unified work in believers' lives will cause the lost. And it should. Eventually, it's 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's look with me here, 1 Peter 2. In 
If we want to be faithful to the Lord and we want to be involved in the work of God, we're going to be a part of that which Jesus started. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. They say, hey, there are some believers there. <laughs> and they're saying, wow, I don't like their God. But they understand. They say, wow. We never know what we're, when we're working for the Lord how we're impacting people around us. Now, what if a church is threatened? What if a church has some going through some really hard times and, and there's persecution and the government's coming down on them and, or other entities are coming down on them? What is the church's responsibility? Is it to become secluded, hide out, uh, just saying, you know what, I'm just going to stop doing what we've been called to do? Is it just to say, well, you know what, we, we just can't do this right now because it's just too dangerous. I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 8. Persecution does not remove our responsibility. It does not abdicate our responsibility. In Acts chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, this is the church here in Jerusalem, entering into every house, inhaling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they now were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. Chapter 9, verse 6. He, so now Paul, Saul, formerly, he's on the way to Damascus, And he gets a confrontation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the Apostle Paul would end up going to preach. He had some learning. But when he got saved, God's, Paul says, what, what, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? It wasn't, I'm just saved, I'm going to sit back on my laurels, and I'm just going to go through life. I have my faith in Jesus, but I'm just going to do life my own way. That is not the thought of the Scriptures. What is my responsibility? Uh, not just the pastor's or the leadership's responsibility, but what is every believer's responsibility and the members within the local church? In John chapter 20, verse 19. You know, it's amazing that Saul, later called Paul, he understood, Jesus, you've redeemed me and saved me for a reason. I ought to do something with my life. We liked, many times, I, as a kid, I loved reading missionary biographies. I still do. And reading God do amazing things. And sometimes these stories, and even uh, there's a story of a, of a young girl. She grew up in a very uh, troubled home, foster kid, moved from home to home. And it was just simply a church that reached out to this young little girl. They gave her a little New Testament and said, Jesus loves you. And by this little girl hearing that there's a God that loves me, because she had been passed around from foster home to foster home, she had been violated in all sorts of ways, and uh, she heard, she says, somebody loves me. 
You know, that little act by some believers made such an impression that that lady would eventually get saved and she would go on to be a missionary, but it was just a little act. Someone just stopped by the house. In John chapter, 19, John chapter 20, excuse me, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So they get the Holy Ghost put upon them, and within them, before Pentecost. You see here, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. This is before Pentecost. It comes from Christ himself. But he says, I'm sending you. You still have a work to do. I'm leaving here. I'm ascending into heaven. But you as a believer, you that trust Jesus, I've got a purpose for your life. And there's an idea in Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. He says, God, God's saying, I've got a purpose for your life. You're not just here. You're not just as atheism and evolution says. You're just, you came from dirt, you're, you know, or whatever. You came from the monkeys, and you're going to die and go to the dirt, and that all there is, that's all there is to life. He says, you have a purpose in this world. I've got something I want to do with your life. But are you going to let me be the foundation of the one who is your boss? who's directing you and guiding you, and understand this, that God never gives us more than we can handle. He would also, he tells us that all the members of the church were to care for the qualified widows within the church. In 1 Timothy 5, it gives us some of the prerequisites here. She was to be a woman of good works. She was to have been faithful. She was to, you know, and if she had kids, then her kids were to care for her, not the, the church, but... You know, if her kids were neglecting her and all that, then the church was to care for the widows. We understand also that all that I'm working for, our secular finances, say, God, it's all yours. You've given me the ability to work. It's yours. You do with it. You know, and we oftentimes do the tithing. And, but the nevertheless, what I'm, how do I spend my money at home? And what am I spending it on? And why, you know, what am I doing? Everything that I have, my energy, I'm not saying you're always doing it necessarily within the church, but I am saying, because that's cultic, but I'm saying that I'm saying, Lord, here's the finances you give me. What should we purchase? How should we do it? You know, just, Lord, this is yours. You've given it to us. How can we use it to honor you? We must never forget our obligation to Christ and work for him. We work for him through the local church. Revelation chapter 2, look with me here. I've got to hasten on. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. 
or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. This is the church of Ephesus. This is the seven churches here in Revelation. He says, just because you're busy doesn't mean I'm pleased with what you're doing. Here's a church that has a lot of programs and a lot of things going on, but it's not, it's, he says, you've forgotten the first thing. You need to love me. You need to realize you're doing it for me, not just to have programs. The cure. How do I protect my labors and stay on the right job? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, some of these points I'll go over. I'll give you points here if you'd like. You can write them down if you're interested in these scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, excuse me. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Who are we trying to please as I'm working in this life? 2 Timothy 4 says, keep, essentially, chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, I'm looking for Jesus to come back. Revelation chapter 3, I'm understanding that everything that I'm doing is going to be evaluated for God. Sometimes we think, well, now that I'm saved and, and all my sins are washed away, it doesn't matter how I live my life. Well, you know, I need to be moral and upstanding and I should go to church and I should read my Bible, but understand that God's saying, how are we using our time? Because if God is my focus, he's going to orchestrate, he orchestrates our day. He's leading us and guiding us. What are the rewards, though, if I've put God as the foundation of my life? <clears throat> it says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. You know what, someone, he says you're overcoming this world. You have people that are against you. You have opposition. You have sin. You have all these things. He says you're overcoming. He says, listen, no one's going to be able to take your crown. The rewards that God gives to us are based upon how we work. We must not lose sight of God's love and blessings upon us. There was a Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus into Dalmatia. That's 2 Timothy 4, 10. Demas was a man that one time was helpful to Paul. Later on, he became a thorn in Paul's flesh. I mean, he was just a pain. Uh, he was a man that said, I love the world, I love materialism, I love money. I'm done with serving God. His foundation was himself, it wasn't God. We can't lose focus on the job at hand. Disbelief, discouragement, materialism are some of the biggest cancers to being a productive worker to God. We say, I need more, I need more, I need more. This is exactly what Israel did as they provoked God to anger. They asked meat for their lust. We as believers, as it says, look with me at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. 
says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He says, listen, the time to come is there in the millennium. What is this whole millennium you're talking about, Pastor? Just real quick. So after this, what's next in the calendar of God, right? Pending, you know, so there's this idea in the scriptures that Jesus is going to rapture all the believers into heaven. There's a seven-year tribulation period that will follow that, where a one-world ruler happens. Seven-year tribulation. Uh, over half the world's, two-thirds of the world's population is destroyed during that period of time. Then after that seven-year period of time, there's a thousand years Jesus rules and reigns on this world. He's the one world ruler after that. He is the only godly one. And we as believers will rule and reign with him during that thousand years. And how we rule and what we're doing during that period is based upon how we live our lives now. And we will also engage in battle at Armageddon with Christ, Revelation chapter 19. So our rewards are based upon what we work now. Is heaven eternal? Is heaven guaranteed if I put my faith and trust in Jesus? The answer is yes. But your labors now and whom you select as your boss will determine your eternal reward. Revelation twenty two twelve. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according his work shall be. Am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I putting my energies into what God wants me to do? I'm not saying that there's not times. You know what? Jesus went apart. He rested. He slept in the boat. There's all those things. We have a physical body that gets tired. We need rest, okay? But that's, we're still giving our body what it needs so I can do the physically exhausting things, however able, I'm able to do that. But I'm expending my time and energy in a way because the foundation of my life is God. But all of this foundation, you can't have God as your foundation if you're not, number one, you're not a child of Christ. You're not a child of God. You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. In conclusion, in all ages on eternity, there is work to do. Adam, in the Garden of Eden, was to dress and keep the garden. He was to commune with Eve. He was to have a wonderful relationship with his wife and walk with God. After sin... Work only became harder. Work didn't go away, it just became harder. Moses and Israel to work for the Lord. Jesus commissioned disciples to work while here on earth. Believers through the centuries since Christ are to be a part. They've worked through local churches reaching the world. At the end of the tribulation, believers will return with Christ and Armageddon, wage war against Satan and the wicked here on earth. In the millennium, we'll serve God and we'll rule and reign with him based upon how we've been stewards of our time in this world. In every dispensation of God, there is always labor to do. The choice is not whether I work, but will I be obedient to the work that God has called me to do. If I'm obedient to Christ, I must remember, you know, if we're obedient to Christ, I want to be a part of what he's commissioned, what he created, the local church, and get forth and serve him. We cannot be a good worker, we cannot be fruitful for God, apart from the institution which he died for, the local church. We understand this, that God does not want us to be uninvolved. He doesn't want us to be just busybodies doing our own thing. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-13 discusses that. 
But his desire, in Revelation 22, 7, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. You know what? Just do what Jesus wants us to do. Determine the results of the wages of my labors for this life. You're not working for salvation. You can't be good enough and get to heaven. Jesus did it all. It's simply by faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus, I can't be good enough to get to heaven, but it's only in faith. Works will always be a part of life, but both now and eternity, how are you going to use your time? How are you going to use your energy? Who are you working for? Final illustration, I'm done. Maria Dyer was born in 1837 on the mission field in China where her parents were pioneer missionaries. Both her parents died when Maria was a little girl and she was sent back to England to be raised by an uncle. The loss of her parents, however, did not deter her young heart from the importance of sharing the gospel. At age 16, she, along with her sister, returned to China to work in a girls' school as a missionary herself. Five years later, she married Hudson Taylor, a man well-known today for his life of ministry, faith, and sacrifice. Hudson, in Maria's work, was often criticized even by other Christians. At one point, Maria wrote, As the harsh judgings of the world or the more painful misunderstandings of Christian brethren, I generally, generally feel that the best plan is to go on with our work and leave God to vindicate our cause. Of their nine children, only four of them would survive to adulthood. Maria herself died of cholera when she was just 43, but she believed the cause was worthy of the sacrifice. On her grave marker, these words were ascribed. For her to live was Christ, and to die was gain. In a day when many are self-absorbed and care more about what they can get rather than what they can give, we need a renewal of the sacrifice of love. It was God's love for us that sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins. And it's that kind of giving love that our world needs so greatly today. When we love God as we should, our interests fade as we magnify Him. The, the foundation for why I do what I do and my boss is not myself and my interests and my comforts. It is what God wants. Now understand this. Again, I'm not saying you're pushing yourself to an ascetic type mentality. I'm saying you're in tune with God. You have a relationship with God. You're meditating upon God's word. You know, and you're just going through life as he leads you and guides you. That's all I'm saying. That's your boss. God, however you can be glorified. So we think upon this idea of choosing your boss and going through this. The goal is, right, that all of us uh, would be, let make Christ our boss. How about we just do what God wants us to do? Just be faithful. And Maria... Imagine how hard they are, lonely, over in China, all by themselves, away from family. Losing most of her children to sicknesses. This is just too hard. It's not worth it. I'm going back home. And yet she stayed, and she said it's worth the cost. Because my foundation is Christ, not myself. I trust that would be sentiments of my heart and your heart we'll have a time of quiet reflection no music playing tonight but i just want to we'll have a time when you're done praying i'll conclude in prayer and and uh, we'll be dismissed for this evening but i just trust that what is the who's the boss for your life why are you doing what you're doing what is why what is everything you do do you know why you do what you do just some thoughts for you if you, first of all, that foundation ought to be Jesus Christ, I trust you know him as your Savior. 
With all heads bowed and eyes closed, when you're done praying, look up, and when everyone's looking up, I'll conclude us in prayer this evening.